What another round of applause for our kiddos. That's sweet. And uh, for Kelly as well. Is Kelly still in here? Kelly's done a great job with the kiddos. Be sure and let her know uh, how, how much you enjoyed it after service today. I know I've asked a question like this already in this series, but I have to ask it one last time. When you think of Christmas, what often comes into your head? Maybe it's this here, a Christmas tree, right? Or, uh, or how about this? It's kind of hard to avoid this guy this time of year, right? What about this? Good food with friends and family. Or how about this, kids? Gifts under the tree as y'all are going out. Y'all are thinking about that, right? Yeah. Any of you picture one or a few of those things? It's kind of hard not to, right? Really. But let me ask you this. How many of you, when you hear the word Christmas, think about this? Or this? Or even this? No, my guess is that uh, when you see a crown of thorns or the nails from crucifixion or the cross, there is a holiday that comes to mind, right? But it's not Christmas. When you see these images, you think of Easter, don't you? But like I've said time and time again in this series, and, and time and time again, year after year at Christmas, folks, when we think of Christmas, the cross should be on our minds. Should be on our minds. The story of Christmas is a gospel-centered story. The message of Christmas is a gospel-saturated message, isn't it? We're going to especially see that in our passage for today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Today we are ending our Christmas series in Luke, entitled Luke's Christmas Story. And to close out our series, we're going to focus in on a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that many of you are familiar with. You probably read it year after year this time of year. So turn to Luke 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20 that Nathaniel read for us earlier. This story is the well-known story of the shepherds and the angels. And though many of you have read this story too many times to count, I want you to notice here that though the shepherds and the angels, they are the central characters in this passage, this passage in Luke chapter 2 is all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this passage is as gospel-centered a passage as you'll find in your Bibles. Notice here that there are three things we learn in this passage about the gospel. First, we learn that sinners are the recipients of the gospel. Sinners are the recipients of the gospel. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Luke 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round them. 
and they were filled with great fear. And I would be as well. I'd be scared. How about you? So according to this verse, who are the beneficiaries of the gospel? According to this passage, who benefit from Christ coming to earth? Luke tells us it's sinners like you and me. Now, some of you are thinking, how on earth did you get that from this verse here? You're probably thinking to yourself, the only people mentioned in this verse is this good group of godly shepherds, right? We often view shepherds in this way, don't we? We often view them in a positive light because that's the way they're portrayed in the scriptures. I mean, notice how they're shown here. We see that God shows favor on them and he makes this announcement to them and they favorably receive the message and they're also some of the first witnesses to and for the Lord Jesus. Also remember in our study through John, Jesus referred to himself as a shepherd, didn't he? In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. One of the most familiar chapters in all the Bible, we learn the Lord is our shepherd, right? Shepherds are often shown in a positive light in the scriptures. But let me tell you, that was not the view of those who lived in the first century. Truth is, shepherds, did not have a good reputation at all at this time, in this day, in the first century. They were not held in high esteem. They were despised. They were seen as unclean. They were viewed as liars and thieves. Many were guilty of stealing sheep from other folds. Their reputation was so bad, folks, that their testimony was not even permissible in a court of law. Also, because they continually came in contact with injured and dead animals, many in the Jewish community viewed them as being ceremonially unclean. And because they were out in the fields all the time watching the sheep, many of them were disconnected from temple worship. They were viewed by many as being lowlifes, scum, trash. Though that's the case, notice here, God sends his angels to them. He makes this great announcement of the coming of his son to these sinful shepherds. He has his gospel proclaimed from on high by his holy angels to a group of low-down, dirty, and wicked sinners. And Luke, by making mention of this story, is revealing something very important to us here about God and his gospel. Luke clearly shows us here with this story that God has sent his son to save sinners. Folks, that's the reason Christ came. And this truth is repeated time and time again in God's word. Jesus came for sinners like these shepherds. Jesus came for sinners like you and me. Jesus even said this of himself, did he not? In three or four gospel accounts, he says that the reason he has come is to call sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I've come for those who know they need me. I've come for people who are fallen. 
I've come for sinners in need of salvation. I've come for people like these shepherds who many of you view as being despised. I've come from the dirty and the sinful for those you consider to be low down and wicked. Jesus came for sinners. Sinners are the recipients of the gospel. Now be honest with me for a moment. How many of y'all think about this at Christmas time? When you gather around the table to eat a nice Christmas dinner, you think about this? No. No, we can't help but think about Christmas trees, the big guy in the red suit and presents under the tree. Many of us don't think about the fact around Christmas time that we're sinners in need of salvation. Yet we are. Christmas is all about that. It's a reminder to us of, of that. Christmas should remind us that salvation is needed and that salvation has been provided for sinners like you and me in the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing we learn here in this passage about the gospel. We learn sinners are the recipients of the gospel. Second thing we learn is Christ is the message of the gospel. Look at verses 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, the, there, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. How awesome would that have been to be there and witness that. In this passage, the angels preach Christ on a hillside to these low-down wicked sinners. How about that? In verse 10, one of the angels makes the announcement that he is bringing the gospel to them. You know what the word gospel means? It means good news. Notice he says here in verse 10, he says, I bring you good news. I bring the gospel to you. And then he goes on to explain the good news by making the greatest birth announcement that has ever been made. And at the center of this message of hope and peace and joy is this baby born in the city of David. So let's take a few minutes to break down this passage a bit because there are several great truths here we learn about Christ and the gospel in this birth announcement. Notice first that the angel explains that this child is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Folks, we've already looked at this already in this series but it's a point that's made time and time again. Jesus did not just burst onto the scene unexpectedly. The Jewish people were anticipating a Messiah to come, and that's what the angels announce here. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice the phrase city of David. Where is this city? Where is the city of David? It's Bethlehem, right? 
And it's not by accident that the angels make mention of this here. By including this detail, God is announcing through his angel that this child who is born in the city of David in Bethlehem is the fulfillment of God's promise he made to David. Christ is the promised one who has come to sit on David's throne forever. That's what they're saying here. They're saying this child... Born in the city of David is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. He is God's forever king. He is the one of whom the scriptures foretold. He is the one, folks, who left the riches of heaven. He is the one who has come down to us and has become like us in every way so he can live for us and go to the cross on our behalf and die for us and be raised for us so that we through him can be right with God and be raised to walk in newness of life. That's who Jesus is. That's what the angels were telling the shepherds. He's the promised Messiah. He's also fully God. The angels say at the end of verse 11 that this child born in Bethlehem is the Lord. That word Lord used here is another word for God. So the angel is announcing here the divinity of Christ and that truth that Jesus is God, folks, is at the heart of the gospel because only a righteous and holy and infinite and eternal God has the power to take away sins, past, present, and future in an eternal way forever. Not only that, not only is Jesus fully God, the angel also announces he's fully man. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Notice here that this Savior, who is the promised Messiah, who is fully God, is also fully man. In verse 12, we learn that he is identified with us in every way. As I said last week, folks, Christ took an immeasurable step down for us by becoming one of us. And in verse 12, it really captures the great lengths God has gone through to save sinners. Look how far he has condescended down. He became a helpless child. He became a little cooing and gooing baby. Why? Multitude of angels, they tell us why. In verses 13 through 14, look at it. Suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In verse 14 we learn that Jesus has become one of us so that we through him could be at peace with God. We said earlier, Jesus had to be fully God to pay for our sins, past, present, and future in a complete and infinite and eternal way. Folks, we also learn here that he also had to be fully man to accomplish his work. See, in the scriptures, they tell us very clear that we as people are at odds with God. We are enemies of his because of our sin. Scripture is also clear that there is nothing we can do about it on our own. Nothing we can do about it on our own. 
Nothing we can do to be made right with God. We need another representative, a perfect representative. That's what God provides for us in Christ. That's what Christ provided for us when he emptied himself by taking on flesh and dwelling among us and living for us. And that's what the angels announce here in verse 14. That's the good news. That's the gospel they bring to these shepherds on a hillside. And again, notice that the good news is centered upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Well, there's one more thing we learn here about the gospel from the Christmas story. Not only do we learn that sinners are the recipients of the gospel and that Christ is the message of the gospel, but notice also we see here worship is the proper response to the gospel. Look at verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So when the angels leave the shepherds, the shepherds decide to go check this thing out. So they head over to Bethlehem to see this child, and when they get there, they find that things are exactly the way the angel said. They find Mary and Joseph, and they see the Christ child lying in a manger. And then notice in verses 18 through 20, we see three responses to this wonderful work that God had done. Notice first, Mary thought long and hard on these things. She pondered these things. She pondered this work. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Can you imagine what was going through Mary's mind while she held that baby? Can you imagine what that would have been like? We're told here that she thought deeply on this incredible work that God had done in and through her and thought long and hard about the wonderful gift that he had given her and ultimately the world by sending her this child. Notice in addition to Mary pondering this work and treasuring this work that God had done in her heart, Notice the, the shepherds praise God for this work and proclaim this work to others. First notice, the shepherds praise God for this work. They praised him for the wonderful gift of his son. We're told in verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they responded, the shepherds responded to this great work that they had heard and seen by glorifying and praising God. But not only that, they also went out and shared this work with others, didn't they? They proclaimed God's work to others. Look at verse 17 18. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So notice in this passage, you have a great description of what worship is. You have Mary pondering, and you have the shepherds praising and proclaiming. That's worship. One of my favorite definitions of worship is by author and, and, and scholar Donna Whitney. He defines it as this. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. That's what worship is. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. For worship to take place, we must first focus on the things that God has done for us. We must focus on and, and think long and hard about and study who he is and what he's done for us. But we're also to respond to these truths properly. We're to respond in praise and we're to respond in proclamation. We're to praise him and we're to make it known. That's worship. Worship involves focus, but it also involves response. It involves pondering, although I don't use that word all that much. It works here. Pondering, and it involves praising and proclaiming. That's the response of Mary and the shepherds to the gospel in Luke chapter 2. They pondered these great works, they praised God for this work, and they made this work known to others. So let me ask you this. Is this how you're spending your Christmas? You're spending time studying your word, studying who God is, what he's done for you, studying this wonderful story? And are you spending your Christmas season praising God for the great salvation that he's provided and making it known to others? Christmas is the time of year to do that. We're to do that all throughout the year, but especially at Christmas. Is this how you're spending your Christmas? Are you reminded this time of year the great lengths that God has gone through to save you and does that move you to praise him and to make him known? Folks, it should. It should. To close out, let me say this. Maybe you're here this morning, you've already responded favorably to this message like the shepherds did in this passage. Maybe you, you have heard the, the message that Christ came to save sinners like you and me and you've heard the details of who Christ is and, the, and, and what he's done for you and the way in which he's accomplished your salvation and you have responded to that great work in repentance and faith. You've turned from your sin. You've made Christ Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But let me ask you this. Are you making it known this time of year? Are you sharing the gospel with people this Christmas season? Believers, when we talk about these events that took place over 2,000 years ago in this little town in Bethlehem, our conversation should turn quickly to the cross. It should. That's the reason the child came. The reason Jesus came down to us to die for us so that he could save us. That's the Christmas story. Therefore, you need to share it. Maybe you're here this morning and you've always had a different idea of what Christmas is all about, but for the first time in your life this morning, you feel as if you don't just have a good grasp on the details of the Christmas story, but you feel as if you truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time in your life. 
Maybe God's been doing a work in your heart and life this very morning. You understand, for the first time, why Christ had to leave the riches of heaven and enter into this world as a man. Maybe for the first time you realize that it was because of your sin that Christ had to step down into the world he created and take on flesh and blood and dwell among us. Maybe you realize for the first time this morning that it was your wickedness that sent him to the cross. But you also realize that it was his great love for you is the reason why he came to accomplish salvation for you so that you could be forgiven of sin and made right once again with God. If you're here this morning, you've come to this realization, I urge you, right here and right now today at this very moment to respond like the shepherds do in this story. Believe and receive this work that Christ has done on your behalf. Believe in it. Receive him, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior. Turn from your sinfulness. Trust in him alone for your salvation. Let's pray.